0: Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of...
2: I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo.
0: I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I have skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. And welcome to Zach on Film. This week we will be looking at the wonderful 1966 movie, The Magnificent Seven. Not 1966. 1966? 1960. Oh, 66 was Good, Bad, and Ugly. Yeah, you're really going
3: back uh, quite a long time, Zach, when we look at The Magnificent Seven. One of the cool things about this movie, and Matthew, maybe correct us here, Mm -hmm. but certainly Yul Brynner was a name at this point. And Steve McQueen was a big name at this point. Charles Mm -hmm. Bronson, somewhat of a newcomer. James Coburn had been around in... um, I want to say the great escape came. No great escape came out before this. I don't think I'm so, but sh-
4: I don't think so.
3: I'll look it up. All right. um, but uh, you got James Coburn and Robert Vaughn, who was, I'm pretty sure popular at this time. And yeah. uh, Brad Dexter, who was the newcomer in this piece.
4: When does the man, man from uncle show up? Because it wasn't that long after this. Uh, that's a good question because that's who I, um, yeah, that's who Robert Vaughn is to me is Napoleon solo. Well, that came that out in sixty. 64. Well,
3: 64 is when that came out, so he wouldn't have been known from that.
4: Nope. And uh, Horst Buchholz, of course. Uh, most people great only escape. remember Horst Buchholz from, uh, from uh, this, actually.
3: <laughs> but uh, the Great Escape was 1963, so when we're talking about uh, Coburn and Vaughn, this is probably an early, early role for them. And you can tell, I mean, especially Coburn. I mean, talk about a skinny, tall, beagle.
4: So Zach doesn't look near as much like Lee Marvin yet.
3: No, exactly. (laughs) Um, Before we get into talking about specifics, listeners, if you don't know what Zach on film is, we've been doing this for a little while over in uh, as a kind of a subset of our major spoilers podcast. But it's gotten enough attention to where we had to spin this off into its own show. And uh, hopefully you will join us every week. And eventually we will start producing some Zach on film commentary tracks Mm. that you can, uh, you can access. Uh, We'll tell you more about that as that time approaches, but we're really excited to have Zach on film. And I should mention the great album art for this was done by uh, Carter Johnson. And people are like, who the hell is Carter Johnson? Uh, Carter Johnson. Some people may know Scott Johnson, who uh, runs the Frog Pants Network, of which our, critical hit which is our dungeons and dragons podcast and our munchkin land which is our munchkin card game podcast or distributed through his uh, his network mm-hmm. um he's a really good artist and his daughter is also a really good artist as well and she jumped up and did uh, the zach on film logo which zach looks yeah. exactly like he is
0: exactly like me uh they the day steven sent the art around I looked at it and said, hey, it looks just like me. And then I looked down at what I was wearing and was like, hey, that's exactly what I'm wearing today. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, Zach, give us, give us a rundown of what The Magnificent Seven is all about.
0: All right. So, The Magnificent Seven is a title that I've learned I can't really pronounce very well because I have speech, and speech problems. Um, but it is about a little village just across the border in Mexico who is being plagued by uh, El Bad Guy and oh, bad guy. I don't remember his name
4: Calvera Calvera Eli there Wallach
3: you there you go Yeah I was going to well I was going to say Did you recognize him Calvera
4: no,
0: should I
3: Well if you paid attention to the good the bad and the ugly Eli Wallach is the ugly <laughs>
0: The ugly Oh
3: the ugly Tuco oh. Yeah Tuco
0: I was paying attention to that, apparently
4: as well as I should have been
0: to
3: You should have been
4: Uh anyways he was also the don in one of the Godfather movies Uh, we haven't
0: watched those yet on this show. Not yet. It's like I
4: haven't even watched them.
0: Um, He is terrorizing this town, taking all of their crops and livelihood, essentially, and they are tired of it. They need to have this stop so they can continue on living their life uninterrupted. So, a uh, party of three gentlemen head across the border with gold to try to buy guns so they can defend themselves, but instead... Round up seven
3: men to defend their town. So we don't really know a year that this is going on. Um, it's
4: 18 5
3: It's 18-something-something. It's after the Civil War, right? right because right. it is mentioned uh-huh. that some of these characters have fought in the war and some of them haven't. Um, but I gather that we are seeing the end of the Old West, when the story mm-hmm. is taking place where the gunslinger, the gun for hire, isn't as common as what you've seen before. And the work that they're trying to find is drying up. Right. I mean, at one point when um, Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen's characters are going around, they run into Charles Bronson, who is a they know him as a big guy uh you know shooter mm-hmm. uh gun for hire, and he's chopping wood because that's how he has to earn his his right. food to to stick around right he
0: says he was getting uh paid for jobs of two hundred five hundred dollars, and then they offer him twenty and he just goes off and he says, eh, well, I kinda need the money, <laughs> yeah,
3: and so here are these people really at the end of their at the end of their time mm-hmm. and they're all i mean relatively still young, um and they are just kind of being somewhat desperate, so when the Townsfolk come and and look for someone <laughs> to uh, to protect them. Twenty dollars is better than nothing, and plus, not not just the money, but it gives each of these characters a chance to put some closure onto what they do. Right. At least that's how I gathered it. Matthew, did you gather something different from that?
4: Well, and this is a you know one of those archetypical stories. Uh, on, of course, based on that previous movie about the seven people who show up and defend the yeah um, the seven samurai like that but i think that yeah i think what it comes down to is we're given we're basically given a situation that needs a hero and instead of a hero we get seven guys who each kind of fit a different facet of that hero role which is i think part of the reason why it's so fascinating you got the the drifter, and you got the the cowboy guy, and you've got the hothead, and you've got the weird guy with a chip on his shoulder, and you got Robert Vaughn, who I'm not sure what his deal is.
3: He um, he suddenly feared death. Is that that's his problem? He yeah. It it he looked down the gear, barrel of a gun and he got scared, and that's why he's got the shaky hand, and why yep. You know the others are just kind of like yeah, if he wants to come along, I guess, but he's really just kind of a more of a liability that Mm -hmm. they see uh, because he's he's,
4: he's scared. Yeah. He's got to redeem himself.
3: Um, Rodrigo, what about, what about this film as, as far as this over big story plot goes, as far as these, why these guys are taking on the job?
2: I think there's, it's great because it gives you like this, this movie um, and its predecessor, but, but this one does a great job of it, of within like three seconds of meeting a character Figuring out kind of like what this guy's deal is and why he wants to join. And right. the ones where you don't are the ones that get that expanded time mm-hmm. in the middle where they're like, why did you come along anyways? Like, well, you see, I'm secretly Mexican. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> well, and that's the case of uh, the the young gun, Horst Uh Buchholz. Uh, Buchholz.
4: <laughs> like Frau Buchholz from uh... – from, from, from. Yeah. Horst
3: you. is this uh, young gun. Also, we you know later learn that he's a farmer uh, who wants to be like these guys that he admires, and so he kind of forces himself and becomes the uh, the seventh member of this team. Mm-hmm. I think and his
4: character's name is Chico.
3: Chico, yeah.
4: Horst is the actor.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, talk about the young gun Rodrigo and why. He plays an important role in this in this story. Shut
1: down in a place. of
2: copyright infringement. Hang on. Um, well, the 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 young the, the the kid is important for actually a lot of reasons. Um, first off, he's the kid. You need the kid. Yeah. Um, he is kind of a point of view character to a certain degree because he's the one that needs things explained to him. Like, hey, why is that guy doing that? Well, you see, it's because of this thing that will be important later. Thanks for asking, the kid. Um, uh, the other thing is, is that he forms a connection between these um cowboy, these American cowboys, and the you know the the farmers that they're trying to help, because he's a farmer who is trying to be a cowboy kind of, and is is, mm-hmm. is kind of bridging that gap and you see that kind of manifest in a few places. Also, you know, he, he's the one that, uh, where you see that transition from, yeah, shooting to like war is hell by the end.
3: Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So, uh, they all go, they protect the town, they chase off the bandits, they kill the bad guys. Mm-hmm. End of story. Some of them die. Yeah. What what you, what, you, what was your what was your take on this, Zach? I'm curious because this is a yeah. this isn't as long as the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it is no. a, a a longish western that uses a lot of a lot of uh, tropey tropes yeah. throughout Trop- it. Yeah, trope. It's 128 minutes, just over two hours long.
0: Yeah, so not nearly as long. Well, I, I can't remember how long good, bad, and ugly was. It was close to like two and a half. Forever. I feel like yeah, yeah. I mean, it was literally. It's forever. like seven days long. <laughs> but, it didn't feel as long as that movie, even though it's clearly not as long as that movie because of uh I think the editing style and just the shooting style of there wasn't huge panoramic right right of uh, Riding to the desert so that was that was a nice feeling but overall it was it's interesting watching this movie because um I mean the trope of the protection of the town didn't originate here. And it certainly hasn't stopped since this movie. Right. And so, uh, I knew about, Oh, an hour in, I was like, well, I know how this is going to end.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the seven samurai and, and it's nice <laughs> that, and it's really weird because 1954 when seven samurai came out, um, there would be impossible for that. Or if it was distributed in the United States, yeah. it would have had a very small art house, foreign film not too many people going to see a translation especially because if i remember correctly um seven samurai is quite a bit longer than this film 207 minutes so it's almost 4 hours long three hours. yeah almost 3 hours long so well, but it feels well. like 4 hours and That's it's got an intermission movie. and all that stuff so it really wouldn't have played so right right, right. you know what's what's nice about this film is Number one that they acknowledged it at the very beginning, right. based on Akira Kurosawa's yeah. *The Seven Samurai*. Really, but, you see that, and this is kind of where you know adaptations uh, can sometimes work when you're retrofitting this to work for another audience. Mm-hmm. And this type of stuff goes on all the time. If you like *The Office*, yeah, it, you know that is a transplant from the UK. From the UK, yeah. and we see a lot of sitcoms making that translation yeah. over the United States. Yeah.
4: This and is this what the Magnificent was seven. into that awesome Star Wars arc with the giant green rabbit where Han Solo and Chewie had to gather seven uh, crazy people from different planets.
3: Well, it was also done as uh, a bug's life. Everything. Except True. for people
4: dying.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah.
3: also in Star Wars, the Clone Wars, I've mentioned it multiple times on our other podcasts that that episode of Star Wars, the Clone Wars is a liftoff of, of this to the point where even at the beginning they say this is inspired by Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. So that movie has a big, big place in in movie history. But I think Magnificent Seven as how can we take this great story of seven people protecting the town because of, you know, they're, you know, a dying samurai, uh, you know, uh, way of life. And how can we bring that to American audiences that'll sit and watch it? I know cowboys. cowboys. Cowboys are big right about now. Cowboys were still big in the 1960s until we launched Satellites. Which is,
2: mm. <laughs> which is hilarious because, of course, the inspiration for Magnificent Seven was cowboy movies.
4: Right. Yep. And, so, of course, years later, uh, Dusty Bottoms and Lucky Day and Ned Niederlander came exactly. to save the town from El well. Guapo.
0: As we've and talked, I thought about that movie the entire time I was watching this. Well, and that's and, and we've talked about
3: one of the things that happens with any genre mm-hmm. or any kind of popular thing is that eventually it, it devolves to spoof, yeah. and that's what the Magnificent Seven is. Is, is spoofing? Or not, i not mean, Three, uh, Three Amigos is yeah, spoofing yeah. Magnificent Seven and and um, the Seven Samurai. So, you know, there are some. I think that when you look at it from a translation adaptation standpoint, this film is really important because it's saying, hey look at how we can make this work for American audiences. Right. And the other thing is you throw in two really big names, Yul Brynner and Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen, my goodness, it, he was bigger than Paul Newman at this time. He was the top of the tops. He was all over the place. As far as hunky McMahon, man, uh, all the men wanted to be him. All the women wanted to be with him kind of thing. All the women
4: wanted to do him. Yeah. <laughs> <Different> um, <herb. laughs> well, be with him. Uh, same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, so he is a big name star and can command a lot of what was going on uh in this film and they just kind of rode with it. They just kind of went with it. And they and you know when you look now at the fact that you've got a young Charles Bronson, a young James Coburn, a youngish Robert Vaughn, Brad Dexter in there, that's like a cool cast. That's like mm-hmm. what you see today when you talk about a an ensemble cast of great actors. That's what you're seeing in Magnificent 7. That's the other thing that makes this kind of cool. Yeah. Um so what was your what was your overall impression? I'm I'm curious. You like it? You hate it? What did you? What well, worked I for you? What didn't work for you?
0: I definitely don't hate it. I definitely don't love it. It's, how come? How come? I just i <laughs> Just from the fact that I knew what was happening, I, I still think it was a, yeah. a wonderful. um Again, I've, I've actually never seen Samurai, Seven Samurai, so I can't say it's a wonderful adaptation of Seven Samurai, Seven Samurai, but. uh I mean, it plays really well, and it's obviously been impactful in the United States to see how much it's continually yeah. spun on, off, and spun so, on. But, um, I mean, I think there were some really good, just some really good points in the scene. The movie and the music was really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The
3: Magnificent Seven theme, theme song, song written by awesome. um, Elmer Bernstein, yeah. or Bernstein.
0: Just, it's
3: yeah. one of those, again, one of those songs that has just continued Since the, since the movie was released and it is fantastic. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but I guess you sat down and you're like, well, I kind of already know what's happening because I've seen a bug's life and I've seen these other things. Rodrigo, when you're, when you're evaluating film and when you're looking at these things, and this is really somewhat problematic. And I know we've talked about this before. How does someone who's already seen what's going on today? What are some ways that someone could separate themselves when they go back and watch an older film?
2: Uh, It's, it's difficult. Um, part of that is creating that kind of timeline in your head of what was going on in films at the time. So, you know, to, to think, you know, we, we've, we've talked about, uh, Citizen Kane before and by before, I mean, back when the show was another show, right? Right. Um, (laughs) We we talk about Citizen Kane a lot, saying, you know, people watch, nowadays people watch Citizen Kane and they don't get what the big deal is, but whatever is happening in Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane was the first movie to ever do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're watching something like Seven Samurai or The Magnificent Seven and seeing all of the spin-offs, what you have to look at is what are they doing in the riffs and what are they doing in the movie and how are they different and how do they tend to make more sense in Magnificent Seven. And I mean, one example is that, you know, Magnificent Seven, uh, kind of going back from Magnificent Seven to Seven Samurai is that the Magnificent Seven takes place in this ambiguous time period where maybe guns for hire weren't that necessary at that point, but that's very kind of up in the air. Seven Samurai takes place at the end of the shogunates. So there are ronin, there are samurai Mm -hmm. who have literally nothing to do. They fought in big major conflicts. They used to be like the personal soldiers of the ronin. And as that falls apart, or or not of the ronin, of the shoguns, as that falls apart, that gives us the theme for the story. So in Seven Samurai, there's a very clear reason as to why there are wandering aimless samurai. In Magnificent Seven, the plot has to work a little harder as to why these people are available. Um, You know, in A Bug's Life, it's like they're already all unemployed circus performers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So taking those comparisons and seeing what's different um, and what works better in the previous versions will let you know kind of why that resonance exists as well.
3: Mm -hmm. And why you're going to see this story retold 50 different times.
4: And sometimes you have to take into account what I call the Beatles phenomenon, which is I had a friend in college who always said, I hate the Beatles. And I said, why do you hate the Beatles, Chris? And he said, because I've heard it all a thousand times before from other people. And it, what it comes down to is, you know, when you listen to the likes of a Radiohead, when you listen to the likes of Tears for Fears later work and you go, this sounds just like the Beatles and I like it. Part of that has to take into account the, that you like it, partly because the Beatles were good, but more importantly, because if you look at this as kind of a archetypical, even a prototypical version of this story, it's not the first time that this has happened, but, you know, prototype basically literally means primitive and the, the primitivity, not necessarily in a bad way, but this is how the story is told that second time, the first time in, you know, the American culture. We've seen this before. I I remember watching a Magnificent Seven TV show in the 1990s and going, this is awful.
3: Yeah, but the thing is that by the time the TV show came around, you're already three Magnificent – I think it's three Magnificent Seven movies before the TV show came out.
4: I think – isn't it four?
3: uh return no, oh yeah magnificent is, 7 return of the seven. Yeah, of the 7 yeah return of the 7 from
4: the magnificent 7 beneath no, no. the magnificent <laughs> return 7 return
3: of the, return of the 7 was the follow up that didn't have Steve McQueen in it because he and Yule Brenner were fighting guns of the magnificent 7 came out in 69 magnificent 7 ride came out in 72 and then the um then the television series the magnificent 7 which ran from 98 to 2000
4: now, which one had Yul Brenner come
2: back in time and teach the baby ape how to talk?
3: Not this, um, not this series.
2: That was the very last one, and the one previous, he gets shot, and you realize that he's a cyborg, and then he changes chases the protagonist through an amusement <laughs> oh, park. That's right, I remember.
4: Oh, so
3: speaking of, uh, you'll see this story again. Apparently, you will see
0: this story again. Uh,
3: <laughs> apparently, they are working on a remake of the Magnificent Seven that will star Tom Cruise, Kevin no. Costner. Morgan Freeman, and Matt Damon.
4: Yes. What? Didn't they already do a remake of The Magnificent Seven and call it Ocean's Eleven? No, that's a different thing. That's actually a remake Uh, of Ocean's Eleven.
2: I would say Ocean's Eleven is definitely a different... Thing it definitely is a let's put a team together, right? But a heist movie is its own. It's more
0: like, hey, let's put the team together so we can get a crap ton of money. Now let's get a team together so we can save a bunch of people. You know, there's some really good story
3: elements when we're talking about why these people are into it. You know, my perception is that they're into it because this is their last big hurrah. Yeah. Um. Some people may perceive that they're in it for the money, but then as they get to the town. There's some great character development moments.
1: Yeah,
0: definitely in it for the people. Of, um, oh, was it Bronson with the children? Yeah, yeah, Bronson. Yeah, yeah, that was a great moment.
3: Because he automatically stands up and is punching them. the the kids are just automatically attached. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness, hero worship kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they are so attached to him that they say... Oh, if you ever die or no, not if you ever die, when you die, we will visit your grave every single day and put flowers on it. <laughs> and then they do. And well, yeah, we'll get to sense. that in just a moment. But, you know, then even at some point um, they're all sitting down for a meal and they're like, oh, can you believe we're eating beans and tortillas mm-hmm. and da, 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 And they're just kind of complaining about the food. And then I forget who, maybe it's Yul Brynner walks in and says, do you know what they've been eating for the last three days? you know, a little bit of rice and corn. Yeah. And then the next shot is the, them realizing, oh my God, we're complaining yeah, they're about, they're giving us everything. And so they turn around and they're shelving it out to all mm-hmm. the kids and making sure that the kids are eating. And that's really nice. I mean, Chico uh, meets the, and I guess this may be one of the things that you have to have in a, uh, a movie of this time period. You have to have a love interest.
4: A little romance.
3: Yeah. And so uh, Chico meets the, I guess they've, they've stashed all the young women up in the mountains so that they're not raped. And uh, one of them has come down and Chico discovers her and they start to have a romance. So you get that going on. And for Yul Brenner and for Steve McQueen, the relationship that they develop is the one between themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that starts off from the very first bit of the movie where they're hired to take a um an Indian to go they and bury good. him in the in the graveyard at the boot hill, and everyone's like "You're not gonna put anybody in the ground there, and they go together and make sure that he gets a proper burial so mm-hmm. there are a lot of relationships that develop in this movie that I think are rather important it's not just gunfight gun you know action let's blow everybody up
2: right. because really, those, that's that's what the movie is right it's an excuse to put seven People together plus a bunch of secondary characters Mm -hmm. and then watch those relationships develop it's a it's a bottle episode it's a fridge episode because they're stuck in that (laughs) town trying to figure out how they're gonna do this you know setting up defenses going off in different teams interacting with each other um it's it's like uh i mean it's like a little ant farm of of uh of character development yeah
3: which is funny because, you know, when we're talking about that there is this character development, when this movie first came out, um, Howard Thompson of the New York Times called the, the film a pallid, pretentious, and overlong reflection of the Japanese original. Uh, don't expect Aww. anything like the ice-cold suspense, the superb juxtaposition of uh, revealing human vignettes, and especially the pile-driver tempo of the first seven.
4: Dude, I, I don't even know half those words.
3: <laughs>
2: you know, pile-driver... <laughs> yeah, I do.
3: But then uh, you know, Variety magazine said it was uh, had a lot of bite and tang, and it's a it was a good film.
4: Something that you know struck me fifty five years down the line was the casting of the Mexican characters, uh-huh.
1: specifically
4: Charles Bronson, who I, I know to be Polish, as you know the Mexican character. And I don't know if if I should worry about that or not, especially 55 well, years it's down a, the it's a, line.
3: Number one, the first thing is it's a product of the time uh, that well, you have to yeah, realize have that to that take- was what people did. The same reason why people didn't want to uh, have the Indian buried at, at Boot Hill. Same reason why if if you don't. Cast this right, you're not going to have people go to see the movie. That is unfort Isn't an unfortunate.
2: Uh, so so let's let's for for let's let's talk about this this era in Hollywood as as far as that. It's it's interesting because yes, there are basically three characters who are prominent and Mexican played by non Mexicans. Right. Yep. Um One of them is an Eastern European guy. I'm pretty sure the other one is Eli Wallach, who. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, there there probably are some Wallachs in Mexico City, but probably not originally from Mexico.
4: Yeah.
2: No. Um, and then, like you said, Charles Bronson. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing there is that there were Hispanic actors in Hollywood at this time making and trying to make a name for themselves, but most of them abandoned.
1: Mm-hmm. Their
2: uh hispanic sounding names and last names because it was very difficult for them to find work at the time
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah so potentially you could have through luck of the die ended up with a Freddie Prince type person mm-hmm. in this role yeah um but it wasn't likely because um everybody who was Mexican in Hollywood was pretending not to be mm-hmm. now well, and, Charles uh, interestingly Bronson's enough
3: I was gonna say Charles Bronson's character is. Um, mixed his father was right. irish half half irish yeah
4: but charles bronson actually changed his name from buschinsky when yep. he started working in yep. hollywood I mean, so i mean it's and, kind of that same thing
2: yeah absolutely i mean look at you know the the sheens you know mm-hmm. come from that family mm-hmm. freddie prince junior sure. comes from that um yeah. legacy the
4: the old man is actually played by vladimir sokolov who as the name would imply is russian right Mm-hmm. Uh but if you ever watch the old original Twilight Zone shows, he shows up three times as an older mexican american mm-hmm. or Mexican character and I'm just like he apparently had a kind of a minor thing going in playing characters who looked old and mexican
2: right sure. so and, Matthew- and, and it and it happens to a certain degree i mean right. most of the guys that you see in the background in um uh, what I want to say, uh, Dances with Wolves, mm-hmm. most of those guys probably were Mexican.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: So, Rodrigo, does this bother you when we don't uh, cast um, to the es- ethnicity?
2: I think, well, I think this example is something that happened a long time ago, and it's it's a way to show that. It's a way right. to say, mm-hmm. look, here are um, people uh, like it was impossible for Hispanic actors at the time to even play Hispanic roles that were prominent. You know, what does that tell you about society then? How is society like now? Well, is this still happening.
3: So let's take the- a look at the Lone Ranger. Yep. Yep. And, you know, going back even further, if you wanted to portray, uh, Black characters in a film, you had people actually putting on blackface, right? Mm-hmm. So, true. you know, up until I don't know, I mean, you start to see some of the color barrier being broken around this this same time where you're actually allowing people to be oh. um, to play their to play their type. Matthew, does this bother you? now? I mean, you kind of this bothers it, you looking back.
4: It Well, it doesn't bother me so much as it. I'm aware of it. Okay. And I'm aware of it in a way that I feel like I, I, I kind of feel, you know, that, that old white man's guilt to some oh, yeah. degree, because I had that same problem. And this is something, this is very telling for me. I used to be bothered by Guy Williams playing Zorro until I found out that Guy Williams was born Armand Catalano and was Irish, and um, I don't know if it's actual Spain Spanish. But I'm like, okay, I can, I, I can deal with that. And I don't know why having, having him, you know, even though he's Guy Williams and he looks like Guy Williams and he played Zorro really well, having that little bit of the Italian and the Spain in there just kind of somehow makes it not a problem for me. Mm. I think part of it is the fact that I'm, I'm trying to explain to my kid, we've been talking about uh, China and Japan and how they're different even though the things that she loves about China, sometimes you'll also find in the things she loves about Japan. And, you know, she is aware of these things and how that that ethnic phenotype has similarities. And I'm trying to explain it to her in a way so that it doesn't ever become a thing. Maybe it's just, you know, it may just be me overthinking it, but I am kind of bothered by the fact that a high-profile role of a Mexican character was given to Charles Bronson, ostensibly on the thought process of he looks close enough
2: well and and the charles bronson character interestingly enough there's kind of a like you could argue that there's a plot reason why he doesn't look mexican true you know it's actually a reveal in the story if i remember correctly because i actually haven't seen it recently Um, i saw the the tail end of it about six weeks ago yeah but it's kind of like they're like well hey Bernard, what do you care? Someone's just like actually my name is Bernardo. Right, right, right,
4: right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um,
2: so so I mean so that that's cool and that's fine, you know. I mean if you're going to have that plot point then you can cast Tom Cruise as a Mexican guy. It's okay. Right.
1: Well, um, Zach, i I'm,
2: I'm, I'm
3: curious and you know in this discussion here, mm-hmm. did it bother you? Did you notice it? Did it did it uh, even raise up on your radar?
0: Uh I I noticed it. Simply because of the fact that we discussed it before, I well, like oh, okay. forty five minutes before we watched the okay. I watched the movie okay. Um, but besides that, I mean, I I would have I mean I probably would I would have noticed mm-hmm. while watching
4: it right right. But now. it it would have had that yeah. moment where you're like is Charles Bronson Mexican? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you go you Google it and then you'd uh,
0: have... you're like oh nope.
3: Um, so yeah. Um, what did your girlfriend think of this? <laughs> she fall asleep.
0: Uh, yeah. She leave? No, she didn't leave. We started watching it, and we got like, um, through the credits at the beginning, and we got into some of the first scenes. And I was like, "You're gonna go to sleep, aren't you?" And she said, "Yes." <laughs> I said, "Okay." And then she slept through the whole thing. I mean, she. I mean, I'm sure she was in and out of consciousness. But I said, "Hey, the movie's over." And she said, "Well, that had nice music." I said okay. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> Can you uh, but ask she's liked for a better I mean, she she made it through um, the whole graveyard scene, and she she seemed in, uh, interested still. So, if it wasn't for her liking sleep more than I do, she probably would have
4: watched the whole thing. Liking sleep more than you. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm mhm mm-hmm.
3: So uh what did you you mentioned the credits at the beginning that's something that we haven't talked about uh is that up until about the 1970s mm-hmm. um all of your credits for the movie were up front. And now we put them at the end.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh t- today you probably see the title plus your main actors, your your big stars at yeah, the sometimes. at the top, but everyone else is pushed off uh to the back. You like that or or don't like
0: that? No, I love credits up front. Why? Um Well, partly it's because nostalgia of watching movies at my grandpa's house, because he always loved westerns and stuff, so it reminds me of watching movies at his house. But it's also nice that people that you don't see in the movie get credit for all the work they do before they have to show Thanos at the very end of the movie, so people will talk about the movie through the credits Mm -hmm. just so they can sit there. And watch five and, seconds of Thanos. And
3: I, you know, one of the nice things about having credits up the front, and it's one of the things that I I try to do is watch the credits mm-hmm. and see all the people who participated in it and, you know, try to appreciate their work by, you know, letting them be recognized. Right. And that's one of the nice things about the, the credits up front. Nah, but if you examine the credits up front... They don't go on for 10 minutes no, 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 like no. they do today no. at the end. And a lot of that has changed because of unions and stipulations and contracts about who has to be well, credited and, and, for what.
2: And, yeah. and, and partially because of, um, and I mean, and that's true, they have really cracked down, you know, since obviously since then, because there were people that just were not being credited for the one oh, yeah. period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but also nowadays, if you watch something like, you know, something ludicrous like Avatar – where oh, every leaf of grass requires, like, 20 computer animators. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, like, the credits are just massive and they take forever.
3: Right. One of the things that we do uh, in this show for people who are new listeners, uh, everybody likes to jump on a number one, right?
1: Hi, uh, welcome. We spend Hello. some time
3: talking about the story and the history of the, of the movie. Uh, but we also spend a little bit of time talking about the technology. And before we get into the technology, I want to take a moment and thank some of the people who made this episode possible. Matthew, who might some of those people be this week?
4: Why, some of those people might be Antonio Sanciolo, They might be Michael Krug, Eric Trevart, Christian Walker, Tony Bishop. There aren't seven of them, by the way. Had there been seven, it would have been a perfect setup. Uh, Renee Christensen, Melanie Nasalrod. Raymond Caritas, Michael Flyweger, and Russell Cat all had a hand in the hand of the hand.
3: And if you would like to make this show possible, head over to our site, Majorspoilers.com. There is a mm-hmm. subscriber button there on the right column, or if you're on an iPad, apparently it's all the way down at the bottom of the page because mm-hmm. of the way the site yeah, doesn't resize uh, right. correctly. Um, but we are uh, wanting to make sure that this show continues and every little bit helps. And those people that donate $10 or more, get their name shouted out at, uh, at this point uh, in the show.
4: Should be noted if this is your first episode, if you wonder why I mispronounce things, partly it's a gig and partly it's because I mispronounce things.
3: So, yeah. <laughs> so technically mm-hmm. Zach, tell us what you, what you saw technically about the film.
0: The f- about the midway through, because again, one of the only other westerns I've seen is a good, bad, and ugly, which we talked about a few weeks ago. So, have fun looking through our major spoilers master feed to go and find yes. out our topics on thoughts and about that movie. Was that um, it did not look as expansive and um, wide. So looking,
3: this movie this was, movie was shot in Panavision. It yeah, was shot in, in, in anamorphic yeah. format. And so. so I
0: noticed that I was like, I know this is made before. Let's go to IMDB to see what the aspect ratio is really quick. Right. Just to see if they were shooting the same thing. And they were. And so it was just a obviously a
3: well, style choice. Part of that though is even though we're shooting in that same wide format, mm-hmm. think about what they're doing with the picture. In this case, we're not uh we're not showing nature. Right. We are showing these confined areas. And if we have to show seven people at a table, that right. wide format really right. works for us. If we're trying to show people up in the mountains, in the brush, and the trees, an anamorphic widescreen format is just going to show you a lot of trees and bushes yeah. and, make the fr- and make the frame feel crowded and full. Whereas if you're watching the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you're seeing a giant desert vista, then, you know, you've right. got uh, a lot more to take in in that case. Mm -hmm. So also keep in mind that the towns, both the town at the beginning and the, 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 the Mexican town that they go to defend are not real locations either. These were all built on backlots. So there is nothing that holds you to any kind of authenticity uh, to this environment. So kind of keep that in mind as well. Mm -hmm. What else did you notice?
0: Mm, The music was very telling of, what was not happening, what was about was about ready to happen, almost um horror movie esque of the heroes are coming to down da 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 Right, right, right. <laughs> and I mean that even happened like before is like they even happened like da 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 music, 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 and now everything happens. So I was like, oh cool. I, get, I can get happy now because cool things are gonna happen.
3: Um Matthew, why is uh why is the magnificent Seven theme song bum bum ba, bum bump? Bum, 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 bum. Why is that ingrained in our collective uh, memories?
4: Well, because we're old people. But <laughs> <laughs> it keeps being reprised and people actually, you know, have redone it and put it into things. I know that when we were in college, the KLF, whom you may remember as the Time Lords who did the Doctor Who song, mm-hmm. did a thing where they took that whole magnificent seven theme and reworked it with just bass and drums, which I thought was fascinating. But it's kind of, it's that old school. Dun 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 dun. They're building with that full orchestration, and they're building the the tension with the the music and the theme and the thing and the and the glaven,
2: which is fun to do.
3: Rodrigo, anything else you want to throw in on that?
2: On the music, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things that, like the Jaws theme, like. Um, the slowly running at each other music from a uh, chariots of fire, <laughs> like, um, a, a handful of other, like the Star Wars, like the Imperial March. Um, those pieces have been picked up as kind of, uh, like uh, codifiers to immediately, uh, like, bring up the response in your brain that they're supposed to do. So right. that song and songs that are, for copyright reasons, just very similar to it, keep getting used where cowboys are, are, are concerned or where mm-hmm. the magnificent seven type situation or where the heroes arrive type situation, right? Mm-hmm. Keep getting used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that, you know, people who haven't seen the magnificent seven are probably familiar at least a little bit with that song just because of all of the, repetition throughout decades of you know using that song that originated there to elicit the feeling that gets that you know over and over again
4: yeah it builds that that expectation of something dramatic about to happen
3: and it's easy to recall too i mean it's just instant recall will recall now from now on zach every time you hear this song you're gonna think oh i remember remember watching magnificent seven
4: you will hear it a lot. What I is, think they play it at Euro Disney.
3: Zach, what is day for night? Do you know? No, no. Ooh, that's fine. Ooh, I mean, that's ooh, the whole point. That's the whole point of me,
1: Mr. Cutter. That's the whole <laughs> point
3: of this of the show ooh. is to make sure that you know about it. So ooh. there are many night scenes going on in this movie, mm-hmm. right? Outside,
1: nice. right? Aww.
3: What do you notice about those outdoor night scenes? The scenes where they're, where it's in the village or yeah, they're yeah. out at the campfire or they're in the uh, the enemy's uh, camp. What do you notice about those, those night scenes? Static background? Well, no, not a static background. There's one instance where that's true.
0: I know. Um, Matthew is whispering <laughs> something. Yes, I know, but this is where you were supposed <laughs> to be learning. Uh, I can't recall.
3: So what did you notice about the shadows?
2: N- nothing. because he, I wasn't nothing cause he wasn't. Matthew, <laughs> I was not Nothing because he was not Matthew. Like, I like when we look at scenes on a screen, like
0: mm, those shadows, they don't look weird.
3: I don't, why? My why my do impression. the shadows someday,
2: look? someday you sh- will, yeah. someday you will look at movies and be like, those shadows look weird.
3: So, what do you? To- what do you typically expect to see? What do you expect to see when you're shooting something at night? A lot of mm-hmm. grain. Mm-hmm. A lot of grain. Okay, but what else? What? What happens with our darkness? What happens to the night? When you go out, if you go out right now with a camera yeah. and start shooting and, you've, and you're trying to shoot me walking down the street, what's going to happen? What are you going to see? Picture it in your mind and tell me what you're going to see.
4: Rippling rolls, never mind. <laughs> uh,
0: just a lot of black.
3: Yeah, a lot of black. What yeah. do you see in the night scenes in Magnificent Seven? Purple. Well, you see a lot of the mountains, the trees, oh, yeah. the you people, the horses. It's because film, especially at this time, isn't sensitive enough to where you can actually shoot at night, Mm -hmm. right? So in order to mimic a full moon effect, you shoot at high noon. You shoot around the noon time period where the sun is at the highest, and therefore there are very little shadows around. And then you drop a cobalt blue filter in front of your lens, Mm -hmm. which gives it this bluish dark look. And in our mind, and this is a film thing, too. In our mind, we've been trained to recognize that dark blue, very little shadows, represents night. Night. So in this case, in order to prevent from shooting at night, uh, they do what's called day for night. And that's where you shoot Mm. at a noontime where your shadows are very low or an overcast day. Right. You drop your blue filter in there and you say, nighttime. Mm. Does it work, do you think? You probably don't remember it. Apparently, because I didn't notice. Okay. (laughs) Rodrigo, does it work?
2: definitely I mean I think but but it's I mean you you hit it on the head obviously because you know this stuff that it's partially because we've been trained right. that that's the way that night looks because so, <laughs> even today you know if, if a bunch of people are around a, a campfire you can't just have it look like the Charlie Rose show in the back you know uh, you, you still right, want right. to see oh these people are out in a forest or something like that you still want to see the stuff that's around them so Similar techniques are still used to this day. Um, Color temperature, you know, Mm -hmm. we've been trained to say, you know, if it's reddish, it's midday. If it's bluish, it's either early morning or nighttime. Mm
3: -hmm. I think you've got those two flipped around.
2: That's what I meant.
3: Yes. Um, So I know Matthew and I, when we saw um, the searchers many a year ago, Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. were also employing day for night techniques. And Matthew and I being jackasses, every time a day for night scene comes up, we would sit in the back and go, oh, my goodness, I marvel at the shadows in this scene. <laughs> Look it's at the awesome. shadows. Look at the shadows in this scene. They are beautiful. With, there is s- no light. Yes. <laughs> or the moon is directly above their heads and casting so much light. And, yeah. you know, there have been times where you can go out on a cloudless night when the moon is full and oh. you can see quite a bit. I remember as a kid mm-hmm. going and looking out my bedroom window out the countryside in the middle of winter when the moon is out there. And you do get that day for night yeah. look. You can see a lot. But it's it's not typical. No. As you watch yeah. movies today, we t- we don't use – lower budget films will use this. But we don't see a lot of day for night being right, employed. Right.
4: What well, well, we do see, though, digital filters that can do it on the cheap now. Well,
3: but I mean, you're not shooting daytime and making it look nighttime. No. People are actually shooting at night. But the one thing that I want you to start paying attention to for night shots now is how do we separate the subject from the background? Zach?
0: Oh, are you asking me right yes. now?
3: How do we separate the subject from the background? Rim lighting? A rim light, right? So, what is a perfect rim light? Well, the moon would be a perfect rim light. So, watch two people have a conversation at night. And notice that as you cut from one to the other, the moon magically jumps because they're putting a blue rim light on everybody in the scene. And so it's like, well, the moon is illuminating them. It's impossible to do because the moon isn't switching positions. So, you know, it's one of those things that, again, our minds accept these errors Mm -hmm. in storytelling, which means... If we can accept a jumping moon as a rim light, because we understand we need to separate the subject from the background so it looks pretty and isn't muddled. And if we can accept a day for night shot as a nighttime shot as a future filmmaker, this should give you an idea that you can get away with a lot of cheating in order to tell your
2: story. Or in this case. And in fact, you have to. Because sometimes if you try to do things perfectly true to life they will not work and they will look awful right
3: yeah i mean real life often yeah. looks awful when
4: you but shoot but the it. first time you see day for night and really recognize it, it, it will will ruin ruin you will never you really? not notice it again yeah
0: it will ruin you forever oh, i still have magnificent 7 at my house so I'm i, I pop the, it the, in the place where I,
4: I always see day for night anymore is on reruns of emergency which are now mm-hmm. popping up on my dvr with frightening regularity And you'll watch it, and all of a sudden, uh, it's three in the afternoon, but it's purple.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, They've
4: underexposed that film a little bit there, Bob.
3: Well, and also, too, if you go back and look at black and white films, it's easy to shoot for day for night because it's black and white. So just go for those shadows, lower your iris a little bit, and there you go. Mm -hmm. What about the editing? Anything special in the editing that you noticed? Uh, Not anything special.
0: Yes. No. Okay. Not
3: really. I. No, it's pretty there's really there's really
0: nothing special about <laughs> yeah
3: the editing. Trick <this>. question. <laughs> no, no, no. You know it's it's pretty average. Same way with a lot of the shots and angles that they choose. It's pretty yeah. typical Hollywood system type storytelling. Mm-hmm. Here's the shots that you have to use: two shot, three shot, one shot. You know, um, here is you know open on a wide, go in for the close. Um, it's it's very typical for and. You know, you don't notice very many shots where, and it would be perfect for this movie, where they ride into town, and as they enter town, or as they're leaving town, or as they're dealing defeat to the bad guy, there's a perfect opportunity for you to do an upshot to Yul Brynner to make him look more magnificent. Right. But they don't. They go with a standard eye-level shot a lot of the times.
2: the Magnificent Seven, I believe, fell squarely in that era where... Hollywood already had stock tricks to right. make guys look more manly and right. magnificent. Right. Um, such as building. Uh, this is great. If you ever go to Universal Studios, I hope they still have this stuff. But they'll run you through the back lot and it'll be on one side, you'll see a row of houses. And on the other side, you will see an identical row of houses with smaller doors. Right. So that you could put the women... On the uh houses with the bigger doors and they would look dainty, and the men <laughs> on the houses with the larger doors or with the smaller doors and they would look big and manly
3: right 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 um yeah, I and mean, yeah, all those tricks, but I mean it's just there's nothing really special no. about about this uh as far as the cinematography or the editing goes. One thing that uh is interesting is the director of uh, of this uh movie uh John Sturgis, no relation to Preston Sturgis. He went on his next film to be and what I think will be the next film in our discussion next week, The Great Escape. Have you ever seen The Great Escape? No. No. Another there are. And this is what's going to be real interesting, because there are elements of The Great Escape that are very similar to elements of, of The Magnificent Seven <laughs> theme song ensemble cast. um. And in this one it's based on some true stories uh in the great escape. Based. Yes, based. Based. <laughs> I know, based. Based on. I didn't say it was exact. I didn't say it was a true account. Based on.
2: <laughs> it's a documentary.
3: It's just like uh uh it's just like the TV series was based on the events of Staling 44 or whatever it was, Staling 14. Um So next time, young Zach, get yourself The Great Escape. It's available on the iTunes as a rental. Or listeners, if you want to go and buy The Great Escape, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. Click on the Amazon.com link and uh, buy uh, The Great Escape there. Uh, You get the movie on time. Hopefully you'll have it in time to watch it for our next episode. And a little bit comes our way as a thank you from Amazon for sending you over there and picking up this movie. So closing thoughts, Zach. You love this movie or hate this movie or somewhere in between?
0: Uh, Definitely in between on this one. It is definitely an obstacle of overcoming everything I've seen that is released since this movie that employs the same uh, story structure to really uh, delve into the story and not just be like, I know where this is going. It's going to be okay. Um... I think if you're obviously you're probably a fan of Westerns, you've seen this or you should have seen it because it's definitely a good Western movie from that point. It's not like it's a horrible movie. It's it's just at this point of uh, the world, this the story has been used enough that it kinda of fell flat for me.
3: And how are you going to use what you've learned today to further your mastery of filmmaking?
0: what what i think is great about this movie is that it shows um and hearkens to the point that we i was i've been taught since i was a freshman of film and write what you know and definitely to take a property that was somewhat inaccessible to americans at that point and then uh flipping it to the genre that is america essentially um so other people can enjoy what was happening Across the world is a great uh take from this movie.
3: Rodrigo does Zach pass this week?,
2: oh, I think so. Matthew, uh, yes. I think he had some good insights. Matthew does Zach barely. pass this week barely, barely passes this week, yeah, I'll take yeah, it f plus. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Ah, so you passed this week, Zach. Okay, I think cool. your 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 closing arguments you uh, sold us. You on
4: didn't that. make the uh, Westworld joke Rodrigo did, so I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Well, I'm
3: gonna Westworld bet that you have not is, seen Westworld. No, okay, he's not seen Westworld, so
2: well, I, I gotta I gotta find a copy of The Great Escape.
3: It's uh, available on iTunes. It's probably also available on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Not. Netflix.
4: It makes you vomit, song, no matter what sticks in my head. It might be. Yeah. All right. That wraps it up for this installment of
3: Zach on Film. Zach, you want to say anything else before we get out of here?
0: Uh, thanks for joining us for the for the renumbering of Zach on Film. Back to number one. Hopefully, uh, you will stick around and uh, listen to us next week as we tackle another 60s movie.
3: And uh, if people want to share thoughts on this episode, where do they go?
0: They would go to majorspoilers.com or they could also go to Twitter and hit us up at our Twitter profiles. Um, I'm at Z Wolf. Steven is at Majorspoilers. Matthew is at Mighty King Cobra. And Rodrigo is at Fearsome Critter. All right, everybody, thank you so much, and we will check with you soon.
2: America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.